I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Hometown Glory, your Spurs and Culture podcast. And yes, you're right, I am not Charlie, but a pale imitation called Tom. Unfortunately, Charlie can't make it, but on with me are Rosa, Ashley and Billy. There's weirdly not much actual football to talk about after this winter break. I managed to get COVID during it, so I had no football to watch and had to actually talk to my family, which was terrible. Of course, I still had Twitter and I used it to follow a million Spurs transfer rumours, some of which actually came true. Later, we'll talk Brighton, the women's team, Delhi, and have our culture picks. But first, let's get straight into those transfers. Um, why don't we talk Inns first and those two lads from Juve Billy, what do you think of our new signings? Yeah, do you know what? I think they're they're um they're quite smart signings. Um, I don't pretend to know that much about them from, from what I've been reading and watching a couple of videos. They do seem like they think they're going to improve us. Um, I think uh, the Swedish guy, Fulazewski, um, I just got this weird feeling that he's going to be like quite a big hit with us. He seems like he's got that sort of air of like a cult hero. Um, just from the way that he talks and I've seen a couple of his old social media posts and stuff he seems like someone that the fans are going to warm to pretty quickly and he's a, a young player he won um, Serie A young player of the year a couple of years ago at Parma I think he had an incredible season at Parma Juventus signed him and he had a decent breakthrough season um, got quite a few assists for Ronaldo um, if you watch some of the videos of last season there's plenty of times when he's assisted Ronaldo um, so yeah, I think it's an exciting sign, and I think Benton Kaur, the midfielder, I don't know that much about, but from what I gather, he seems like a player that Conte is going to like. He seems to be a hard worker. Um, I think the biggest positive for me on both of them put together is they're obviously players that Conte will know from his time at Inter. Um, there's rumours that Conte wanted um, Kudelski when he was at Inter, so I think that's really really exciting. So yeah, I think they're two smart buys. Problem for me would be that we don't seem to have addressed the weak points in our squad, like the right wing back. And um, we still are a Harry Kane injury from away from our season being pretty much over, but still don't have that second striker. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy of those two signings. Yeah, happy of them. Yeah, we seem fairly well stocked at centre mid, even with uh, the players that have gone. But um, yeah, and the right back or right wing back, we didn't really solve that one. So we'll have more of uh, Doherty and Royal. Uh, Ash, have you watched any highlights videos of our new signings? I was convinced that Ndombele and Lacelso were going to be amazing. So, yeah, my opinion counts for very little when it comes to new signings. But I'm just excited to have new midfielders. I think the past few years, the midfield sort of like been the area that's like let us down quite a lot. Um, and like I think Billy summarised it really well. I think if these are players that Conte wanted, then I'm over the moon because I think that's been 
our big concern over the past few weeks. Like every kind of moan that he's had, we've been really worried. So as long as he's happy, I'm happy. I think um, another thing, it was kind of a weird context of the transfer window because I think if we'd have made these two sign-ins um, at early doors, I think they'd have been quite well received from the fans. But I think because of the weird stuff that happened before, like the month of tracing Traore when he turned us down for Barcelona and then the Diaz thing, which he again made us look pretty embarrassing when he chose Liverpool over us. Um, I think it's kind of bittered the, the taste a little bit of these two signings, but I think in the context of just those two signings, they're decent signings, but I think in the window as a whole, I think they've got quite a bit of work to do to convince the fans, um, um, but hopefully they can do it. But it was just a, it was kind of a weird transfer window. We spent, wasted a lot of time on Traore, and then the Diaz thing happened, um, but you know these two players are coming in, so let's, let's hope they do well. Billy, going back to um, Kulu, where do you think he fits with uh, Son, Lucas and Kane? I've seen um, a couple of things that he sounds like he's going to be sort of, he can play, I think one of the encouraging things, he can play anywhere in the front three I've read. I think I'm right in saying that he sometimes plays as a striker for Sweden as well. So maybe even we might even see him filling for Harry Kane at times. Um, I've just I've literally just watched a video on Twitter just before this where someone was saying he might even slot into midfield because he's good at carrying the ball. Um, but to be honest, I think... Bergwijn, Mora, and Kulazewski, we've now got some decent options um, because, you know, Son and Kane, their positions are locked in. You know, we're never going to rotate them, really. Um, but now with those three behind, around them, that's quite a good good set of options. And I do think it's probably going to end up better than, than what we saw from Brian Hill, who I know we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but he was sort of coming on in games and he didn't really have the biggest impact. So I think... If we stick with the same team and Kudazesti comes off the bench, I think he's going to offer us a bit more than what Brian Hill did. We're back to my bugbear, which is um, wingers, we're told, can play as strikers. Uh, Rosa. This is it. (laughs) (laughs) This is my one worry. I was like, oh, God, have we signed another player? And Thomas is going to lose his shit over because it's just like, like, (laughs) is he? I was discussing him with Ollie earlier and I was like, but like, what is he? Is he... Is he someone that they're going to pretend is a striker? And Ollie was like, I don't know, maybe. But I actually feel fine about the whole transfer window. And I don't even mind that much about the two transfers that weren't. I think the Traore one seems bad in the context of it taking the whole month and not happening. But if if a, if Barcelona, even the Barcelona mess that they are now, if they come in for you, you're going to say yes, especially if that's where you grew up right and Diaz at least that was only 24 hours and like again if Liverpool come in for you that's where you're going to go we're just like I don't mind if if people get upset about it but at the same time I think there has to be a recognition of where we are in the pecking order that's just reality um all I know about these two players I just messaged my Juve friend Paolo and I said is is Benton called rubbish because Juve Twitter seems quite happy and he said to me, we're so happy we sold him um, and Kulisevsky too. But he did say the the problem with Benton Cole was that he seemed a good player, but he didn't grow. He didn't progress in two to three seasons. And Kulisevsky also may become very strong. And Paolo's big thing was that if you get if you get players that Conte wants, he will do it. Like, no worries. He, he signed off for me. He said, as we say in Italy, he can squeeze blood from stones and I was like that's quite good because we've got quite a lot of stones still at Tottenham but so I feel quite positive about it really the thing is as well I guess we also need some players in who are Conte's men uh, and were signed by him and we'll just yeah put everything on the line for him you all, you mentioned Liverpool there as well I was just going to say transfer window wise it was great to see that West Ham and Arsenal have both had a nightmare seemingly and uh, definitely haven't strengthened. Ash, anything to add on our on our transfers? Yeah, I mean, like just on the point about West Ham and Arsenal, I, I t- put in our little text group like on the day that I thought like last week and like the past few days has been like really important in top four race. And I think Arsenal not strengthening and probably like weakening their squad actually. West Ham sort of failing bizarrely to get Calvin Phillips. I don't know who West Ham think they are, but failing to get those players is like a big deal. And I think like, yeah, it puts us sort of in prime position for fourth now, like I'm battling for United. So I'm just hopeful. I'm always hopeful with these transfers. And I sort of like threw a wobbly about not getting like Traore and Diaz, but like 
I calm down now and I think I think we're going to be all right. And I think another thing for us as well is um, I was gutted about Diaz because it was just it seemed like a, a you know a big name player and the sort of thing that a big club like Liverpool would do and maybe something that we might do. But I think looking back on it, the reality is that he plays in the same position as Son anyway. Um, so you would maybe question if is he really that needed for us? Um, if, if we're going to spend that much money, then I'm sure it can be better spent elsewhere. But I just think our history as a club as a whole. The big signings like that, they just don't work for us. And like the, our best signings of recent years, like if you look at like Son and Mora and people like that, they're the same kind of level of signings that we've just made. So hopefully, I think we're more suited to this kind of signing where um, they don't come in with like the weight of the world on their shoulders. Um, as I'm sure we're going to talk about next, our two huge record signings in Gio and Tangi have totally flopped for us. Um, so maybe it's this kind of signing that's actually going to turn out pretty well for us. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty positive now. Um, there was a, that, that when that, when I woke up and saw those, I think it was early in the morning, those Liverpool rumours started coming through that they're going to hijack Diaz. I was gutted, but I think looking back overall, it's been, you know, I think it will turn out pretty good for us. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited that um, Kolozewski, uh is only 21 as well. So there's clearly a lot of room for him to grow and to grow under Conte, a kind of world-class coach. Okay, shall we move on to outgoings? Um, Billy just touched on it there, £100 million worth of outgoings, um, plus a couple more. We're going to talk about Delhi in a minute. First, though, let's talk about Ndombele, La Celso and Ringo himself, Brian Hill. Um, they're all away on loan, at least initially. Ash, how do you feel about the three that have left? Oh, well, excluding Delhi, we'll talk about him in a sec. I hope Ndombele and La Celso we never see again. My only sort of concern is that we've sort of just like kicked the can down the road and that we're going to have to just deal with the problem in the summer because Leon, the price for Ndombele is like something ridiculous, like, 65 million euros and I think like Leon just don't spend that kind of money on players so he'll probably just be like turning up at like hospital away in four months and we have to just deal with the issue again so that worries me but Le Celso I just I just don't care about Le Celso at all I won't miss him like I think those players also have like barely contributed anything under Conte so I know that like we've lost like what is it, those four players, but they've barely played. So I don't think we're going to like miss them as much as some people are making out. Yeah, there was a highlights reel doing the rounds on Twitter today of La Celso's goals over the Premier League goals over the last three years. And yeah, there was one, right, versus Man City. Yeah, exactly. Rosa, you talked about La Celso in depth in the last episode. Do you have anything to add? Are you over the moon that he's gone? Yeah, I'm absolutely delighted. I was just like, good luck and good riddance, quite frankly. I mean, yeah, they've just been, like I said last week, they, they were just all, particularly Les Elso, but also Dombele, just wasted everybody's time. And I think it's all very well to sort of say, oh, we've, you know, we've got rid of like four players, but the way they've all been playing or not playing, like they barely add up to like one full player. So it matter. They're just taking up space that somebody else can use. I, yeah, I'd like to see Brian back at some point. That'd be fun. And to be honest, I'm not even like I'm absolutely fine with sort of procrastinating on the whole on the whole issue with Ndombele and Nacelle. So if they come back in the summer, I mean, they're never coming back to us, are they? Like whatever happens, they will be sold at some point. Like neither of them are ever going to play for Spurs again. She says confidently. Who You never know. You never know with football. But I'm just delighted that I just won't have to look at either of them again for at least another, what, six months. Yeah, I think we all agree on Brian, on Brian Hill, that um, we really hope he'll uh, he'll come back. Billy, do you ever want to see Tangi and Lo Celso back at, in N17? No, I don't. I don't want to see them ever again. Um, and that's a, a shame because when they signed, I thought, you know, this is different for us. These are two big signings. I thought they're going to work out, but it's just not going to happen. Um, and I totally trust Conte's judgment if he wants to get rid of these players. I think that for me is another thing about the window. I think one form of backing Conte is not just signing the players that he wants, but it's getting rid of these players that he doesn't want at all costs. Um, because in the past, you probably would imagine, certainly in the case for Delhi, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, 
a lot of these sort of deals that we've got aren't the best deals for us financially, but we've got rid of the players and we've got them out the door and that's all that matters. So I think a good form of backing Conte is just getting rid of these guys at any cost, you know, offering them around for maybe cheap prices, getting them out. And we have done that. And I think it's going to be really, really important moving forward that we get rid of these guys. I do find it quite funny, this clause that's in the Undombele thing. Um, it's like the most pointless clause ever. I can imagine sort of Leon wondering, just sort of agreeing to any non-mandatory obligation clause because what does that even mean? So they don't have to pay it. They could you could put any number on there. It's just so like so pointless. Um, I don't think Leon are going to buy him. Certainly not for that price. But maybe if he has a good season there, they might sort of half it. Maybe um, we're definitely not going to get sixty-five million from Leon from him. Um, but glad to see the back of them. To be honest, um, it's a shame it didn't work out, but they had to go. Yeah, just I think you made a really good point about backing Conte by getting rid of these players. And I think one thing that was so impressive about that sort of first Pochettino era was that he just culled the Kabuls and the Adebayors. And I think like the squad harmony is going to be like really important, especially for this last, what is it, 18 games in the league. So I'm really excited to just see like how he brings everyone together. And like he's obviously got rid of like the two wasters in the squad. So that just bodes really well for the future, I think. And also just shows the players that are there that he's just not going to accept anyone dicking around, which is really good. Really good. Yeah, it's a lot of bad vibes gone, isn't it, from the dressing room? Rosa? Yeah, and I think even, even if it's not bad vibes and even if it you know, breaks my heart in, in a tiny way to say it, this sort of feels like with those two sold who are like, the big, big buys like towards the end of the Poch era and Delhi, who was at the very least kind of quite badly mismanaged, I think, even, you know, even by Poch. This sort of, this is the end. This is the last of the Pochettino era, isn't it? Like whatever that means for us, if it makes some of us, Ash, feel relieved, if it makes some of us feel a bit sad, whatever, it, it sort of had to be done, didn't it? And I think that's because I was saying to you guys earlier, the sort of combination of those three players, like the waste of money on Ndombele and Lo Celso and the sort of Delhi burnout are like, they're almost like the only things where I actually sort of feel slightly angry at Poch, which isn't like an emotion that I kind of associate with him. But I think those three players are sort of emblematic of of like the mistakes the biggest mistakes that were made under him and were sort of allowed to kind of I don't know just sort of fester for the last three years really and so we just we really needed to make a clean break for kind of for everyone's benefit really and they've all had so many chances right uh and Dombele, Le Celso and Delhi under five different managers now sadly uh, and yeah, hundred million pounds. Brian, though, I hope he's uh, maybe he's just a bit homesick, and he'll he'll go and have a great, great six months. I think the thing with Brian is, I think it's a bit of a shame that he didn't go to another Premier League club. Um, but I, I just don't think there was any interest there. I would have liked to, if you think about his progression as a player, I don't think we're going to learn much about him from being in the back in the Liga. Um, I think it's a shame that we couldn't sort of loan to another Premier League club. But hopefully get some football under his belt, come back. He's not one of the, he's not, I don't see him in the same way as some of the players that have left us recently. I do think he does have a future at us. So I'd like, hopefully his confidence will come back um, and we will see him again because he's not one that I want to cast off right now. He's one that I want to see come back. And seemingly we paid quite a few quid for him as well. Uh, Lamella plus a lump of cash. Anyway, let's um, cheer ourselves up or have a bit of a cry um, we've talked about those waste men, apart from Brian, you can come back. Let's talk about a Spurs legend, or is, is the L word controversial? Uh, I know Charlie had a brief Twitter spat with someone about the word legend in relation to Deli Alley. Uh, he was such a key part of that golden potch team, part of the amazing desk front four, uh, and at times just like totally unplayable. Uh, now is at Everton with Frank and a fair few other misfits. I want to start with Billy because I was so excited when I found this out today. Billy, I believe you invented the Delhi Alley chant, right? Yeah, it was kind of a weird, um, a weird sequence of events. I think after that Palace goal that he scored, I think I just 
at the time, it was one of those songs. It's it's like the least original song ever. But I think Arsenal, my Sam, was singing it a lot about Play and Urzel. And after that goal, I just tweeted it like a Deli Ali version, and it just seemed to pick up a bit of traction. And then I think like the next away game, it's got started to be sung, and then it's sort of one of those things that sort of stuck with us. Um, but it's not the most original song that's ever been made, and we did sort of steal it from West Ham and Arsenal, which is not a good look. But it's one of those songs that you sort of associate with the old grounds. It's one of those songs that is one of the most popular songs we've had as a fan base. Um, and I think that speaks a lot about Deli Ali and his sort of connection with the fans. And I've been really upset today, to be honest, and yesterday. Um, for some reason, I can't really quite put my finger on it. I've been thinking about it a lot today. It's one of the players leaving that has hit me the most in my lifetime. Um, when better players have left us, you know, we've had we've lost Bale, we've lost Modric, we've lost Van der Vaart, we've lost all those kind of players. But this one just really hits hard. And I think part of the reason might be is because it wasn't quite the ending that we had hoped for. Because um, when he burst on the scene, um, I just got some stats here, actually. When he burst onto the scene, there was nothing like it for me as a fan. It's one of the things that I will always look back on. Um, and a lot of people talk about trophies and things like that. But some of the moments that Delhi Ali gave to me and gave to us as a fans are, you know, mean so much to me. And while it was really annoying that he didn't win a trophy with us, it's just like, I'll never forget some of those times that he'd given us, which I know we're going to talk about in a bit. Um, but in his first 63 Premier League games, Deli Ali scored 26 goals and got 14 assists. Um, Lampard and Gerrard in the same time got six goals and four assists. And Rooney got 15 and seven and Scholes got 18 and three. So no player in Premier League, no young English player in Premier League history has ever touched those numbers. And I don't think anyone will either. Because if you compare it to the breakthrough England players now, like your Grealish, Madison, Foden, etc. None of them have ever got close to those kind of numbers that Delhi Ali put up. And I think part of the reason why it's sort of been such a malaise over the last three years is kind of the reason why it is so sad over the next couple of days, or the last couple of days, sorry, um, because it didn't quite have the ending we all wanted it to, but the times it has given us are something I will never, ever forget. Oh, Billy. Um, Rosa, come on, continue the emotion. Yeah, I feel really, really gutted. Um, like, there's a Another set, isn't it? Like it wasn't he the first he got to 50 goals like quicker as well than like Gerard or Lampard or any of them really. And like watching his farewell video, like I like I joke about like crying and choking up, but like I properly did cry watching that. It made me feel so sad. And then yeah, and also in a way that I can't quite like part of it, I think, is just in that just sort of really sentimental way of kind of looking back and he was just so 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 young when he joined us he was just a baby and he had and he had such a baby face as well and he played with all that sort of joy of you know that classic kind of cliche joy of a kid who's just kind of you know just running around the playground but also just like going back over and watching some of the goals that he scored like we have we had some incredible players in that team but nobody could score some of the goals that he scored they were just like the vision and the control and just the sort of sheer breathtaking, like daring, I think he really, maybe that's it. Maybe he was a real sort of to dare is to do player, the kind that we absolutely love at Tottenham. He's just like, I'm going to score this kind of goal and I don't care if I'm only 21 and I'm up against, you know, the most kind of fearsome backline or defence or whatever, like I can do it. And he just, and he didn't have that fear. And maybe that's also part of the sadness to see that sort of confidence kind of drain away because he was such a confidence player and see that go and see sort of fear kind of creep in where it just, it didn't really belong. Maybe that's part of it too. But, but like Billy said, I just, I'm so, like I'll never ever forget some of the times that, like some of the things that I've seen him do, some of the games I've seen him play. And again, even if that team never won a trophy, we were still so blessed to have players like him. I think um, the thing for me is as well, there were better players in that Pochira team. But other than arguably Harry Kane, none of them had the same connection with the fans that Delhi had. And I think there could be a, a couple of reasons for that. One probably was because he was so young and there's like his attitude that he had, like his arrogance and like his swagger. Um but I think he was like a good symbol for what we were at the time. And because at the time he was a player that came from League One, we had, he had no right to be as good as he was. And that was like what we were under Pochettino. We had no right to be as good as we were. Um, we kind of came from this like years of sort of mid-table 
um, up-and-comers to be in suddenly one of the best teams in the country. And that's a bit like what happened with Deli Ali. He just came from the League One on MK Dons. I remember his first game, he came on against Man United as a sub. Um, he came on against Man United as a sub. And straight away, he just had that sort of impact. And then his next game, he started against Leicester and he scored. And then he just pretty much every other game then was sort of scoring and assisting. So I think the symbol of the Poch team was Deli Ali because he was a mirror image of it. So that's, I think, and that connection with the fans and why he was such a special player for us. He did really hit the ground running, didn't he? I was trying to think back and just like, it really didn't take him long to cement a place in that team. What I loved, you mentioned his arrogance and his swagger. I loved that other teams hated him, both the players and fans. Like I had used to have rows with um, West Ham fans about, you know, they, they really uh, they really hated him and he could wind up opposition players better than potentially anyone, any player we've had in recent times anyway. And like that telepathic understanding that he seemed to have with Kane and Son and Ericsson as well. Ash, give us your favourite things about Deli Ali. I mean, my, some of my favourite moments, like obviously the flick for Lucas's like goal in Amsterdam stands out because that's probably like the, the height of the, the Pochettino era. Um, I think that atmosphere before the Palace game, the first game back at the, like the new stadium where everyone was singing his song, the same before the City game, which was the quarterfinal first leg, was amazing. Um, and then I guess the other goal and like it's maybe it's more about Ericsson, but the the Chelsea goal in the semi final Wembley like always stuck out as did the the Arsenal goal in the Carlin Cup. So that there's so many moments like like about Delhi and around him like he kind of was always at the center of everything. Um, that being said, I do I don't know I just feel very disappointed. I don't know if it's him or the club or what's happened, but he should still be at that level. And it's going to be like quite gutting to see him go elsewhere and probably like get back to that level because he's a brilliant player. And yeah, I, I just, I was, I said to, earlier today, I was like, I don't really know like what went wrong for him. Um, I don't know if he's taken his eye off the ball or whether the hunger's not there. I think he did lose some of the aggression that he previously had. But yeah, it's just I'm just kind of sad that it didn't really work out. And like Billy said, have the ending that it was supposed to. I, I've sort of, um, I've been very anti-Delhi for like the past sort of 18 months. I thought he should have gone, when Mourinho wanted him gone in January and he could have gone on loan, I think, to PSG. I thought he should have gone then. Not And not just because like he was out of form, but because I think you just have to back the manager, whoever the manager is. And we didn't. And that was sort of the beginning of the end of Jose. So I'm glad that Conte has been backed, even though it's sort of quite sad um, for Delhi and for us. It is sad. And even that, the scene in All or Nothing with Jose was pretty sad, really. And Billy, like you said, about him breaking all those stats, uh, breaking all those records when he was young. He also, there was also a chart going around showing that how many minutes he played. He played so many minutes by such a young age. Uh, Billy, what, any thoughts on what went wrong? Um, I do think that maybe played a big part in it, um, the minutes that he played. I think um, if you compare it to someone like Phil Foden, Guardiola just does not play Foden anywhere near as much as we did Delhi, and that might play a big part in it. Um, but also I think kind of we changed positionally as a team. Like he, His role of being behind Harry Kane, which is where he's at his best, kind of didn't really exist anymore. And when Pochettino tried to sort of make him into a midfielder, it just didn't work out. And he, he's now sort of in that odd position at the moment where he doesn't really know what he is. He's not really a centre mid. He's not really a winger. He's not really... That number 10 role just doesn't exist in our teams and it hasn't done for a while. And when, the funny thing is when Jose first came, he put him back in that number 10 role and he thrived like his opening five or six games. And then it's sort of, again, he just got shifted again for some reason. Um you would wonder maybe at Everton if he can go back into that role play with um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, he might be pretty decent there. Um, but I also think, I don't think it's going to be a great move for him just because Everton are not that good. So they don't have people like Ericsson and Toby that were finding Delhi's incredible movement all the time. So I think that he might struggle there. Um, but one of my favourite Twitter accounts is, um, has a Spurs fan tweeted about 2017 today. Um, and I totally agree with that sentiment because we do look back on that time a bit too much, but... 
the last two days, all I've been doing is just watching videos of 2017 and 2018, like the Delhi Prime, and it's just made me really, really sad. I kind of feel like just putting on some James Bunt and just just crying to those highlight videos, but it's really, really sad to be honest. Uh, Billy, you should know if you're going to cry that um, the podcast dictates that you listen to Adele, not James Blunt, obviously, uh, and have a cry. I'm sure maybe Adele is currently crying. Maybe uh, the Las Vegas postponement was to do with her uh, heartbreak at Delhi leaving the club. Billy, you've got, we had loads of tweets, right, about favourite Delhi moments, and you picked some out. Give us uh, yeah, some we've of got, those. we've. We've had absolutely loads. So thank you so much to everyone that has written in. And also, fuck you, because it has made me really, really depressed reading them. But I'm going to go for it anyway. Um, so a lot of the moments came up a lot of the times. But THFC Dan has just put a video of that incredible goal against Arsenal, the chip over the keeper, which I do think is honestly one of the best goals we've ever scored, especially in the context of being a cup game against our rivals. Um, a lot of people have mentioned Chelsea. I think he scored six goals against Chelsea, if I remember rightly. Put a, people have put Chelsea brace at White Hart Lane. Um, the Chelsea goals at the bridge for our first win there in my, in decades. Um, a lot of people have mentioned the 2-0 pointing the 2-0 to Arsenal fans. Thank you to Pratt Ham- Hampen, who said both all three of those things. Um, Wigan has just put um, the wave, which I know was iconic at the beginning when he first joined. And I think in a lot of these images and pictures that people put on when he first joined he looks about 12 years old which makes it makes it really more endearing I think um at own brand has put the time that he made beans on all or nothing and the caption is I made beans for the first time today um sick public transit glorious at his first appearance in pre-season game against Real Madrid he nutmegged two players one of which was Modric uh, never seen such confidence oozing out of a teenager on the pitch knew then he might be special uh Ali Tweedale says the photo again he's put a photo of the him holding up 2-0 against Arsenal fans. A rare personality in the game. More players should do that, stuff like this. Um, again, someone's mentioned, Mr. Beaker's mentioned the dink in the League Cup against Arsenal after the Kane chess pass. Um, and then Liam Neri has said, and this was this is my particular moment as well, the picture of the Chelsea away goal. And you can just see every single Chelsea fan just like irate and like swearing at him. It's just an iconic Tottenham picture. I know some people have actually got it framed in their house as a black and white version, which is what Liam is talking about, that you can buy and get it framed in your house. I strongly recommend that you do that. Um, Bailey Braden has said, the Legends game at the new stadium, didn't even watch the game, just stood on the concourse singing, we've got Ali for two hours, never heard anything like it. And I think that's a pretty, pretty interesting way to experience your first game at the new stadium, but, you know, brilliant stuff. Um, <clears throat> Fran Munler said, there are so many underrated choices assist against semi-final in Ajax. Um, Sean has said, the first goal against Leicester wasn't a particularly special goal, but the way he celebrated, you could see the fire. A uh, friend of the show, Chris, has that goal against Palace, the two against Chelsea, winding up Woolwich, dancing through the defences on countless occasions, going to miss him a whole lot. We all are, Chris. We all are, that's for sure. And Sock Formation says, obviously, there's this goal against Palace, but I love this friendship with Eric Dyer. The way they were messing about and joking around, it was peak Poch era, certainly was. Tottenham Simpson says the day he signed, look at that French fe- fresh face. And if you look at his signing photos, he does look about 12 years old. Um, Charlie says about Dyer and Grapes and... Steve says not his best goal by any means, but the one he scored in the last North London derby against Arsenal. And a left field one from Castle to finish, which I I've literally totally blanked out of my mind when he punched Claudio Yakov against West Brom, um, something which I totally blocked out of my memory. But yeah, there's a good video going around of that as well. So thank you so much. There are just countless moments um, for a very, very special player. Oh my God. that uh, The Chelsea home game is one of my favourite games I've ever been at, I think. Um just, yeah, yeah, mine too. I think at the beginning, do you remember, like back um, when we first started the podcast and we all did our like Spurs Heaven, that was so, that was close for me with that or the 5-3 because you like that game. Like I just remember it being one of those kind of slightly sort of suffocating games where there was like no space on the pitch for anyone. It was so tightly contested in every area so that you knew that any goal was going to have to be special. And the fact that he scored basically like identical goals within like like either side of half time was amazing. But I also just I love that um, his our second goal against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge is just incredible. Like I watched it again um, this afternoon, and I just just yeah the sheer sort of like cheek of it in a way. Like it didn't bother him coming to a stadium where we hadn't won for twenty eight years. 
it was just like that's fine I can take that all in my stride really and and if you look at that if he scored like yeah all of those goals he scored against teams like Chelsea like even like I don't even think Kane has scored as many against Chelsea like Delhi just was fearless and I don't think it's unique, but I, I seem to remember that the 2-0 against Chelsea, watching most of that first half and thinking that Delhi needed to come off and that it just he, it just wasn't working. And he often had those games where he would really, really frustrate you and do very little and then pop up with a moment of magic, right, Ash? Yeah, sometimes he is a bit of a passenger, but he's capable of like incredible moments. So, yeah, I'm just really intrigued to see like how he does at Everton I think it is going to be tough for him but like I think Lampard being there who knows but Everton are terrible so yeah it's going to be it's going to be hard but I hope he does well my worry about that is just that like Everton now seem to be sort of what we used to be as a sort of weird retirement home for players who are kind of past their best or who just kind of hadn't quite made it and it just never really worked out for any of them as much as we wanted it to but I'd love just you know even if he can just get back in in the right position because I just think part of it is is the is so much of the sort of frustrating mystery of like why has it gone so horribly wrong and if it is just as simple I mean I'm sure it isn't just as simple as that but if that's a big part of it just being played in his preferred position like that'll be fun to see at least I think um, when he left, one of the first things that I did was I looked straight away to see when Everton at home was going to be because I know that he's going to get an incredible reception. And it's actually on a Monday night at White Hart Lane. I think that's going to be unbelievable. Um, hopefully it'll be one of those things where we sing the song about him when we're sort of like 4-0 up already. <laughs> um, you know, I think he's going to get a really good reception, but hopefully it's sort of after we're already beating Everton. Yeah, hopefully he gets a great reception and then does... Very little. Sorry, Delhi, But against everyone else, we're hoping you do really well. And Charlie will be devastated. He missed this because he loves Delhi, uh, and even sort of named his daughter after Delhi. Uh, so on the next episode, we'll have to get Charlie to at least do a bit his thoughts on Delhi. Uh, before we turn to Brighton in the FA Cup, let's talk about the women's team who were knocked out of the cup on Sunday to Leicester. I sadly didn't see this one, but I'm going to ask Rosa to give us the lowdown. Yeah, I didn't see it either, um, fortunately, because it was um, quite sad. And it was one of those, um, I don't want to turn this into a sort of weekly Instagram rant, but it's one of those maddening things where because of Instagram's weird algorithms, like you get a sort of goal notification like two days after it happened. So they were just like, oh, we've we've scored a goal. And it's like one all. And I knew that then that game went into extra time and Spurs then lost to Leicester. I should say, oh, this was in the FA Cup. So because of it being in the FA Cup, I personally don't think it's anything to worry about. I don't really think that team... Um, has the squad for um, another cup run because on Thursday they're going into the semi-finals of the League Cup and even though that is away at Man City that's still like a pretty a big night a big game and it's cup game so anything can happen really so I don't feel like dwelling on that cup loss I don't think I just think it's one of those things it's just it doesn't really matter we've got other fish to fry they um Signs a couple of players this transfer window, a defender and a midfielder, um, including a uh, from Arsenal, which is always slightly weird. But um, and also doesn't feel necessarily like the position that we needed to strengthen, like similar to the men. But at the same time, if we couldn't get a striker, maybe it's sensible to sort of bolster the defence so we don't concede at the last minute as we did against West Ham. So Thursday night, Man City in the League Cup, fingers crossed, basically. OK, let's talk more Cup games. Let's chat about Saturday. I'm currently kicking myself for being stubborn and not getting a ticket for Brighton in the FA Cup. When it was moved to a Saturday night, um, I was just really pissed off uh, that for no apparent reason it's been moved to a Saturday night. Well, it's going to be on ITV4. I believe. Um, and I just can't believe again that we don't get a 3pm kickoff. I also really wanted to take my five-year-old. I thought it could be a f- 
perfect first men's game. She's seen the women. Um, I believe the club said everyone's fit for Brighton, which is something which hasn't happened in a long time. Son and Romero are back. Ash, what are your thoughts on Brighton and the magic of the cup? Um, I'm also not going because uh, I just forgot to buy a ticket. Um, but I'm just hoping we go through. I just really want to win the FA Cup. Like I'm, I'm still not over um, going out in 1995 and crying about it. So, um, yeah, I just want to get to the final. <laughs> it's just completely embarrassing how many semi-finals we've lost. Um, I think it's like eight or nine and in a row. And yeah, we just have to, we've got to win the FA Cup and I think we've got like the manager to do it. But yeah, I think having, I'd love to see Romero play because I think for like we've barely seen him um, and like one of the new boys. So yeah, I'm excited to see us play again. It's been, this feels like ages since we've actually played a game of football. So I'm looking forward to it. Billy, what are you thinking about Brighton? I take it you're going and I mean, Brighton are quite, tough opposition right now right yeah i am i am going i'm really looking forward to it um it's not going to be an easy game by any means i think brighton they tend to i think they draw a lot of games 1-1 um i think they've drawn against chelsea and liverpool that score recently if i remember rightly i know they've definitely drawn against chelsea recently with that score um it's not going to be an easy game by any means um but I think the fact, for the first time that I can actually remember, um, since maybe the Champions League final, which was kind of weird because of that three-week break thing, and we actually have a full squad, which never, ever happens to us. Um, so it'd be interesting. I, I have a feeling he's going to go pretty strong for, against Brighton just because um, he's a winner. He's won the FA Cup for Chelsea. Um, I think he would love to win it with us. If he does that, he will go down in history. Um, and I'd love to see him win it with us. I really, really would. I, you know, we sort of... In my lifetime, before my lifetime, sorry, we were an FA Cup team. We were the FA Cup team. Um, and we're just not anymore. We've been won it once in 1991. And since then, we haven't even, I don't think we've made a final, have we, since then? Um, which is embarrassing, really, because it used to be our trophy. I would love to win it. I really, really would. Um, I don't think it's an easy game, but really, you know, we can't complain at drawing Brian at home. We've got, we've got to beat him, really. Um, so I think he'll go pretty strong, and I think we'll beat him. Billy, do you think um, Romero's coming straight back? I w it wouldn't surprise me if he did come straight back just because this is a game it's not a Premier League game where it might be a risk I know obviously we all want to win the car but it's not one of the a game like the Premier League um, where it might be a risk to see him what he can do and seeing how he is so I think it's actually a perfect opportunity to see him back um, I know we've got two Premier League games in the week after we've got Southampton and Wolves both at home um, so again we've got that weird thing that keeps happening recently we've got three home games in a week so I think it'll be a good opportunity to give him maybe 60 minutes and then sort of take him off in the second half. I'd like to see him play, definitely, for sure. It feels like, it feels, it's such a weird thing with Romero. Like, I feel like I haven't ever really seen him play. Um, I think it's just been so long since we've even seen him. And he's such an incredible defender from, from the looks of things. So I think we're gonna, it's going to be huge for us. And I think it's one of those things, I know Ash said this earlier in our group chat, I just keep forgetting that he even exists. And the fact that he's just come back into our team is going to be a huge boost for us, I think. Yeah, I'm just. My only concern is is the is like the number of games over the next few days. Like, I just, I'd, I would also love to win the FA Cup, and and I'm also embarrassed by the amount of semi-finals we have failed to win. And I don't want to be like a downer about it, but it just seems to me like we kind of need to go for top four, really, and we've two quite tough league games coming up. I mean, I think we should go through, but. I can't see how much of a priority it's going to be, really. Yeah, I guess you hope. I don't know, like Billy said, he's got a pedigree in the in the Cups, Conte. But yeah, like again, like you said, Rosa, we do have three games in a week. And also he did, he won the Cup, but it was, it was the second season he was at Chelsea when they were going to pieces in the league, right? Yeah, and, and for me, like, and I don't know what Conte thinks, but for me, like top four is just a priority. We just have to get top four because that changes everything. It changes the transfer yeah, target. I agree. So if he goes for a weaker team, I won't be angry about, about that personally. Yeah, I'm with you, Ash, to be honest. I know like that might mark me out as like a horrible, like modern football entitled fan, but I just think top four has got to be it. Right. We'll talk about Brighton on Tuesday. 
on the next episode. But now on to our favourite part of Hometown Glory, because we never moan in this bit. And I don't think we'll get as emotional as we did uh, during the Deli Alley section. Uh, let's talk about our culture picks. I'd just like to thank Ash for the recommendation of the Music Box Woodstock documentary on Sky and Now. I enjoyed that and I remembered that Fred Durst is just like totally awful. There was a really good line in that documentary about new metal, which said that it like took the worst bits of hip hop and the worst bits of metal and put them together. And I think it's probably true. Although I do have a soft spot for hybrid theory, the uh, first album by Linkin Park, obviously. Uh, Thanks to Rosa for Tick Tick Boom. Andrew Garfield is excellent in that. It's on Netflix. I just wanted to dive into his hair. Uh, We've also talked about Girls 5 Ever recently, which I just finished. That's also on Sky, also very funny um, and contains a weird crab-related surprise. Uh, So apologies if I don't have very good recommendations this week because I've just been catching up on uh, everyone else's. Anyway, on to this week's culture picks. Let's hear yours, Billy. Yeah, and I kind of spoke about this last time that we were on because I did foresee it being my cultural pick but i've just fit in since then and so i think it's only been a week i've finished all of the first half of the new season of ozark and it is so good um they did that really annoying american thing where they kind of bring out the final season but they split it in half and sort of have two separate final seasons which is really frustrating but um you kind of worry when you're watching a show like this are they going to stick the land in for the end for the final season and i think only the very best shows manage to do it and if you look at some of the best shows in history a lot of them have had sort of dodgy endings like game of thrones famously but so far so good it's been such an incredible half season the last episode is absolutely insane and julia garner is incredible in it i think she's the mvp of the whole series again um she's incredible but laura linney and jason bateman are incredible um, yeah, I think it was a really, really strong season. So I recommend anyone who's not into Ozar, it, it's so good. And if you're kind of like, I see a lot of people compare it to Breaking Bad um, and basically it sort of rips half the premise of Breaking Bad, but I think it's really found its own lane. You know, I'm a huge Breaking Bad fan. It's probably my second all-time favourite show behind The Sopranos. Um, so at the beginning, I was like, this is pretty very similar to Breaking Bad, but it's not. It kind of goes into its own self. Um, and I've been so impressed with this half final season but it's annoying that because of these american executives tv executives now have to wait a few months until we see the rest but um i can deal with that so yeah ozark season 4.5 has been my coach pick this week thanks billy uh and to ash we never know what he's going to bring sometimes it's a coat sometimes a restaurant uh ash what have you got for us this week um i found the pressure now um I'm going to recommend, I went to see Mustafa the Poet last night at Union Chapel. Um, I do. I actually am going to moan about this because we waited outside for 45 minutes in a queue and it was about three degrees, which was like highly unenjoyable, but the gig was amazing. Um, yeah, like incredible voice. The album's called, um, I think it's called When Smoke Rises and it's produced by... Frank Dukes, I think James Blake's on it, Sampha's on it. And yeah, it was just a really special gig. Um, Sampha came out and I just really recommend the album. I think it's one of the best albums that came out last year and it was just special seeing it in person. I love Sampha. Is he coming back anytime soon? I hope I so. Like I've been, I feel like I've been waiting for new music from him for ages. He's Yeah, there's not been an album for years. Yeah, he's amazing. Need, need another one. Um, yeah, that whole like splitting the final season up into two parts is so annoying i remember when mad men did it as well and that was really frustrating am i allowed to like confess here that i've never watched the sopranos or breaking bad oh god rosie you're not allowed to say that maybe one is fine but both both. (laughs) we've never seen either that is just not acceptable it's all right if you maybe haven't seen one of them but both come on i I just don't really feel like I haven't seen Breaking Bad. I love The Sopranos. I've watched it like four times, but I haven't. I watched maybe the first series of Breaking Bad and gave up. I know that. I watched like the first four episodes of The Sopranos and then just kind of never got back around to it. And Breaking Bad, I was just like, I I watched the first episode and I think I was just like, I don't care about you, Walt. I don't care. And (laughs) but also simultaneously, I was like, I feel like watching the adventures of Jesse was just going to stress me out so much 
that I that I thought I'm just I'm out of this one. But we did end up. I have watched um, Better Call Saul. Not I'm not up to date with that, but I have enjoyed that a lot. I've got a book to recommend this week, um, which is by the American author Katie Kitamura, and her. It's not her most recent novel, which was Intimacies, and that was really big on loads of people's reading lists last year. Um, but I, but it's about um, like a. Um, ex-West African president on trial for like crimes against humanity and I just thought you know what I'm just not in the mood for that but I did want to read something by her so I went to her previous novel which is called A Separation about a wife who is in the middle of a separation from her husband but gets a call from his mother to say that he's just kind of gone missing and she has to fly out to this small Greek island to find him and it's just a sort of slight kind of meditation on the nature of marriage the nature of partnership parents and children and all that kind of like good getting into sort of slightly depressing relationship stuff that I really love um I do have one weird nitpick with it which is she has this weird sort of stylistic tick of putting a comma where I feel like there should be like a full stop or a semicolon it's obviously like a very deliberate choice but after a while it started to drive me mad but that aside, it's really brilliant and really thoughtful. And now I might actually read the other one, it, like even though it feels like a slightly depressing bridge too far, but perhaps I'll give it a go. Well, as Charlie has said before, it's always impossible to follow Rosa with the um, culture picks because she always goes quite deep. But I was just going to mention two songs. I think, well, we're a month. We've got a month of 2022's music so far. And I think it's, you know, the year started pretty well. Two uh, quick tracks that I'm really enjoying. Fontaine's DC, one of the most, um, maybe the most exciting uh, guitar group working today. Their new single is called Jackie Down the Line. Um, They're very Irish and very good. And they've got a new album coming soon. There's also a Jimmy Fallon performance of that track that is on YouTube that's just really really good their frontman is incredible and then tom york and johnny greenwood have a new side project from radiohead even though the songs sound fairly like radiohead um it's tom johnny and tom skinner who's the drummer in sons of kemet uh, i think he plays with kano as well um and they're called the the smile um and the the smile's first or sorry second track they've got two tracks out and the new one's called The Smoke, and it's really, really good. But yeah, seek those two out. Fontaine's DC, Jackie Down the Line, and The Smile with The Smoke. Anyway, thanks for listening. Um, it's been emotional. Massive thanks to Rosa, Ash, and Billy. Charlie will be back really soon. Don't panic. He will um, bring back uh, the professionalism to hometown glory uh we'll have a lot of games to talk about next week i hope everyone copes with the loss of delhi really well for now uh i'm going to cross to the man who let me just reiterate invented arguably our best charm and i only realized today uh billy see us home i think it would be only appropriate to see us out in a different way today so in tribute to delhi ali i think the only thing to do is say goodbye is to wave so that's what i'm going to do billy's waving hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.